Hey, Rich Paramount. Welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message is from our midweek service with our very own evangelist, John Tahaji, in a message he's entitled, Stay Awake. Enjoy this message. You guys can be seated. Man, I want to tell you, uh, just no amount of ministering anywhere will, uh, will compensate for ministering here in this church and reach church in Paramount. I love you guys. This is uh, truly just a privilege and an honor uh, just to be a part of what God's doing in this place and to minister uh, to people that I've served with, to people that I haven't met, uh, to just just to serve with you, alongside of you, uh, to my family, to my friends, uh, to the new believer and to my pastors. I'm telling you, this is just a great honor. And uh, I wanna honor our pastors, Pastor Omar, Sister Letty, who are on their sabbatical. We miss them, but we pray for them. Hope they're enjoying their time. Uh, don't be anxious to come back, uh, but but we do miss you guys, and uh, we're praying. You guys honor them. If they're somehow watching right now, can we show them how much we love them, appreciate them? Yeah. Um, and uh, I want to say thank you to, to God's armor bearers, our assistant pastors. Only God knows what they go through, how much work they put in. And uh, just personally, this season in my life uh, has been so encouraging. And your guys' support and your words of, of, of affirmation, it's just given me confidence to know this is where God wants me. And uh, just your guys' approval and all of it, it just means the world. So I love you guys. Thank you. Uh, I'm excited. I want to thank my wife for helping me out with those crazy kids. Man, I got, a, I got an eight-month-old and a four-year-old. Well, she's going to be four next week, and uh, it's, it's, it's a challenge. You know, as far as, you know, just preparing, and I'm in my car, and I'm trying to get this message together because, you know, the kids are going crazy. There's no, uh, there's no quiet in that house, but I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. So I love you, uh, Christina, wherever you are. She's probably watching in the cafe because she's taking care of the kids. So if you love my wife and appreciate what she's doing, would you give her a round of applause too? Uh, I love you, Christina. Um, all right, before we get into our main context, I want to uh, just... Just, uh, if you could stick with me just a little, just a little bit. Um, uh, why did Jesus speak in parables? We're going to read out of a parable. And uh, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus was, was with a large crowd. Uh, it was a large gathering, and he got into a boat, and he spoke a parable to the people. And when he got back on land, he got with his disciples, and his disciples came uh, with him, aside from everybody else. And, and his disciples asked him, he said, why do you speak to them this way? Why do you speak to them in parables? And this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 11. He replied, you were permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. Sounds confusing, but we'll get somewhere right now. We're going to jump to verse 13. It says, that is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills a prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear, and they will have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. The reason that Jesus had spoken in parables was because of people's unwillingness to receive Jesus' message on a heavenly kingdom. The truths of God were heard by them, but they were not understood. It's not that God was hiding any type of truth from them or didn't want them to understand. It was simply because these people did not want to hear it. This applies to the church today. I believe this applies to some people sitting here today. 
is you hear the word, the unwavering, unapologetic, the true word of God from different people. Mind you, we have a thriving five-fold ministry in this church. We have apostles. We have pastors that love you. We have four pastors that love you. We have an evangelist. We have prophets and we have teachers. Shout out to Reach Bible Institute. Yeah. Listen, these are all gifts that God has given the church to edify the church. And not only that, but they are a part of Reach Paramount given to you so that you can grow. And we have this. And you hear the word of God. And not only do you refuse to repent, but you refuse to simply acknowledge, be aware and alert on what God is wanting to do in your life. From this point on in Jesus' ministry, when he spoke in parables, he only explained them to his disciples. But those that had continually to reject his message were left in spiritual blindness to wonder what he meant. And he made a, Jesus made a clear distinction between those that had an ear to hear and those who persisted in unbelief. Ever hearing, but never actually perceiving. 2 Timothy 3.7, it says this, always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is with the disciples and he's explaining to them what is gonna happen in the end times, sign of the end times before he comes back. And he's giving them signs that will signify that his return is near. And after letting him know these signs, Jesus tells them the parable of the 10 virgins. And that's what we're going to read today. But I'm going to pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this time. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you, God, for our worship team that uh, just leads us with such passion. We thank you for your faithfulness that where two or three are gathered, you are here in the midst of us. Lord, this time I give you, I give it all to you, Father. More of you and less of me. I am but a vessel. Will you deliver these words that you've put on my heart into the hearts of your people? We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Daisy. So we're going to read out, out of uh, Matthew chapter 25, um, uh, verse 1 through 13. It says this. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But the bridegroom was delayed. They all slumbered and slept, and at a midnight cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all of the virgins arose, trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, As surely I say to you, I do not know you. After Jesus had finished sharing that parable, he says this. He says, Watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. The parable of the ten uh, virgins, it's prophetic. It isn't just a story that, that Jesus is sharing. It is a prophetic event that is going to happen. He's speaking to them in a parable, but this is something that is going to happen. So if we are very much in the last days, which I believe that we are, and if you don't believe that, I ask you, and, and I, I almost plead with you to really, to pick up your word and, and see what God is doing on this earth, but I believe that we, are in the, that we are in the end times. And if this story is prophetic, and if we are in the end times, then it's no surprise that the church is asleep. 
It's almost inevitable. And as I ponder on it and I think about it, I get so frustrated. I get so frustrated like, God, why is the church asleep? Am I asleep? Is my brother asleep? Is my mom? Is my family? Those that I serve in ministry with, those that I'm preaching to today, those across the world and a part of the church in general, are we asleep? Now, there are great things about Christianity today. We believe this and we know it to be true. But generally speaking, the church is asleep. Mark chapter 13, verse 35 through 36, it says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, you too must keep watch. For you don't know when the master of the household will return. In the evening at midnight before dawn or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I believe that Jesus' message today to the church today is stay awake. Jesus had an inner circle of three people. He had 12 disciples, but he had three people that we know that were a part of this inner circle, so to speak. Who knows why they were, maybe they were called, they, they, they were called in the beginning, they were with him the longest. Maybe they were his greatest friends that he trusted the most. Uh, but, but there was this inner circle, and I want to share some things about them. One of the greatest miracles that happened in the Bible happened to Jesus himself. Along with the baptism, the death, the resurrection, and his ascension was the transfiguration on the mount. And Jesus, we're going to get into it. I'm going to read out of Luke chapter 9 verse 32. It says, Peter and others had fell asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. These three men were with Jesus and asleep, a part of one of the greatest miracles that happened. Asleep. During when Jesus, uh, when, when he was praying and his face began to just change and his clothes began to shine uh, like diamonds and they, they were bedazzled and just glory and they were asleep. I'm going to read out of Matthew chapter 26 verse 36, another account of when the disciples are, of these three were asleep. Check this out. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove, the olive grove called Gethsemane and said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee's, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, this is what he told them. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed his head, bowed his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you're not given to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's get going. Look, my betrayer is here. Asleep during the transfiguration. One of the greatest miracles that we'll see in the Bible. And now they're asleep when Jesus needed them the most. His greatest confidants, his greatest friends telling them, my soul is distressed to the point of death. Can you stay awake? Can you pray with me? And they're asleep. 
I wonder why the disciples were asleep in the Bible and uh, Luke's account of the gospel of this, of, of what happened here. It says that they were asleep because of deep sorrow, of sheer sorrow, they, they, they fell asleep. It wasn't because they were tired. It was because they were hurting and broken too. We'll get into that later, but, but why were they asleep? Could this signify the spiritual sleep of the church when now more than ever it is needed for the church to be awake? To be fully attentive, to be fully aware, and to be fully alert of what God wants to do in this trying times on this earth. There has never been more of a need for the church to be awake more than now. A.W. Tozer, he shares this quote. He says, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and nobody would notice the difference. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the New Testament church 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. There's a, Dr. J.I. Packer says this. He says, the church is a thousand miles wide and an inch deep. There's this book I'm reading and he shares this account of what, uh, of what the pastor. It says this. He says, a Chinese pastor was asked for his opinion on American Christianity after he was given tours of several mega churches across the U.S. And this is what the Chinese pastor said upon his departure back home. He says, I'm amazed at how much the church in America can accomplish without the Holy Spirit. Jesus, his own description of the church in the last days, which I believe we are very much in the last days, is summed up in one word, asleep. Revelations chapter 3, verse 1 through 3 says this, write this letter to the angel of Sardis, to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has a sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all things that you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as an unexpected thief. As seen in the as seen in the fact that all of the, all of the bridesmaids were asleep. When the call came, the midnight cry came, it indicates that it doesn't matter what we are doing when Christ returns. We could be working, we could be eating, we could be sleeping, we can pers be pursuing ministry, uh, leisure activities, whatever it is, we must be doing it in such a way that we don't have to make things right like ask the wise virgins, give me some of your oil when that day comes. Five wise and five foolish. I wonder if this could signify the percentage of the church that doesn't make it. Just a wonder, just a thought. No, I'm, not, I'm not trying to preach anything. It's just a thought maybe you can, you can wrestle with. The Bible teaches us that Lucifer, when he rebelled, that he took one-third of heaven with him. That's biblical. One-third of heaven that's seen the glory of God. A place that we all long to be, right? And if he can deceive one-third of heaven that has seen him, how much could he deceive the church that hasn't seen him? I wrestle with you, I beg you, to really take into account where you fall. Where you line up with this, the five virgins without the oil represent this. False believers who enjoy the benefits of Christian community without a true love of God. 
they are more concerned about the party and longing to be a part of the wedding than seeing the bridegroom. Their hope is that their association with true believers, hey, give me some of your oil, will bring them into the kingdom at the end. But this, of course, is never the case because we know that one person's faith cannot save another. You're accountable for your walk with God. May we not be found going away to make the purchase when the bridegroom returns. Take time now to fill your lamp with oil and take extra along and wait for God with joy and anticipation. Now, since it's inevitable that the church will be asleep, that Jesus says it himself, what will we do? What do we do? The Bible says that a messenger comes and says, behold, the bridegroom is coming. Maybe it's not about the wait. Maybe it's not necessarily about sitting at our window, staring out, waiting for the Lord. What if it's about the work while we wait? As Jesus commands us to go and build disciples of all nations, to love your neighbor as you love yourself, to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul as we are here, as he wants to establish his, his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. What does salt represent? There are a couple things. I'm no salt expert. All I know is to throw it in my ceviche when I go to Tagonazo. All right. I know that this is a couple things that salt does, okay? And I looked on the internet for help because I'm not that smart. Okay. Salt is a preservative. All right. Salt makes somebody thirsty. Salt, it seasons things. Shout out Takanazo. Just kidding. I haven't been there in a long time. I haven't been there in a long time. I'm not going to, I'm not going to slam though. All right. All right. Salt is painful to an open wound. And at one point, it was more valuable than gold. If the church is truly the salt of the earth, then the church will preserve society from getting worse. Our lives should make the world desire what we have. The church generally makes the world a happier place. I know it makes me happy. And our gospel will be offensive to the lost. It seems to me that maybe the church is asleep because it has lost its saltiness. Instead of, instead of preserving the world from getting worse, we seem to help pervert it with obscure Christian views and denial of true gospel. Instead of making the world thirst and long after Jesus, they are no longer interested in a religion. As for our gospel, generally speaking, what we preach nowadays and what we listen to and what feeds us is not the slightest bit offensive. Instead, we are hearing a gospel preached by a great numbers of teachers to say what people want to hear rather than what they need to hear. As far as the church is worth, this might hurt some people. The church in general, as an organization, as something that is looked at, whether it's a nonprofit organization, whether it's a church, uh, whether it's 
a Catholic church, a Baptist church, whether it's a Christian church, whether it's in America, whether in Britain, in Europe, who knows? The church has lost its respect. How does salt lose its saltiness? When moisture gets inside of it, when humidity gets inside of it. And now the church has lost its saltiness because we have been conditioned by the world rather than the world being conditioned by us. But a true church filled with the Holy Spirit, hearts after the Lord that cannot and will not waver against the world because it has met its destiny. A place that God can look and see into the hearts of people, not into a room with four walls, but can look into the hearts of people and say, you get it, you understand, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. The world doesn't need another church with the same power as a yoga class or a TED Talk convention. We need a salty church that will stand for righteousness in the midst of rebellion. A church with a righteous anger that hates what God hates and, and loves the way that God loves. What is interesting about this story is that all of the bridesmaids took their lamps to meet the bridegroom. Every single one of them. Wise or foolish. If you look at these bridesmaids, they may have all have looked the same. You would assume that they were, a, they were prepared for the arrival of the bridegroom. You would assume that. However, as you see, having a lamp was not enough. With no oil... The lamp is virtually useless. This leads to a very important question. Are you focused on what the outside of the lamp looks like? Or do you care about more what's inside of the lamp? In the Bible, we understand that the Holy Spirit represents oil. That the, that the oil in the Bible represents the Holy Spirit. So the question of real importance is, are you full of the Holy Spirit? Consider this verse in Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. If the spirit of God does not dwell in you, then you do not belong to God. But there's good news. This is the good news, that when God saved you, the Holy Spirit begins to take residence in your heart. The defining marker of a true believer is that the Holy Spirit takes residence in your heart. Without the Holy Spirit or the oil as mentioned in the parable with the 10, with the ten bridesmaids, you are just an empty lamp. It doesn't matter how good the lamp looks on the outside. You can fool everyone else around you, but you cannot fool God. There will come a day where you are judged with not how your, your lamp looks on the outside, but what is on the inside. And I want to ask you, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm not talking about this crazy, charismatic, charismatic evangel evangelical looking type, like you're waving flags in your living room on your own free time. I am talking about the fruits of the Spirit that are living inside of your heart that will begin to change every aspect of your life. That begin to change the way you think, the way that you live. You're giving some patience. You're giving some joy. You're giving some love. You're giving some faithfulness and gentleness and kindness. And you have self-control. 
the fruits of the Spirit. Go ahead and read a book. Go ahead and Google whatever it is that you want to help to help you with your anger. That will help you to treat your kids right. That will love your spouse. Teach you how to serve. That's cool. Put some money in somebody's pocket. Bless them. Read a book from your favorite author. Go ahead. But the Holy Spirit will equip you for all the tools necessary to live godly lives here on this earth. doesn't matter how the lamp looks on the outside. However, the next step after receiving the Holy Spirit at salvation is to be constantly filled by the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time thing. Check this verse out in Ephesians. It's Ephesians 5 verse 18. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I thank God that we don't have that problem here in this church. I actually thank God that we don't have that problem within our leadership especially with our pastoral ship. We don't drink wine at all. I'm not condemning it, but I'm saying we don't do it. Because, and this is the reason why, and I feel led to share this. It's because, why would I do something that God set somebody else free from? What leaders do in moderation, followers will do in excess. I thank God, if you have been set free from alcoholism, if you have been set free from drugs, so I'm thankful, Pastor Omar, Sister Letty, thank you. All the pastors, all the leaders that exemplify that we don't even touch it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it at all. You need to constantly and consistently yield more and more of your life to the Holy Spirit. Doing this will allow him to have a greater impact on your life and lives around you. It comes at a cost. It comes with consistent times of daily devotion, of prayer and worship and reading your word. These aren't sacrifices. These are things that you should naturally love when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. I enjoy reading my word because it smacks me upside my head every single day. And it, and it sets me right. And it puts me in the right perspective. And I'm filled. And if you want to hear the voice of God, open up your word. These are the marks of a true Christian is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. God can renew and refill and strengthen your heart every day as we fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit. And this will give you the oil that you need to let your light shine in a dark world. I think one of the most stunning statements in, um, in the parable that I read with the 10, 10, uh, 10 virgins is the most stunning statements in the entire story is verse 12. And it says this, but he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Can you imagine what the bridesmaids thought when the reality of this hit them? Like five got in and five were left out. Can you imagine knocking on the door and anticipating I got some oil? Or no, God is a God of love. God is a God of grace. So the oil I have must be sufficient for him to let me in. And they knock and and it's answered, I don't know you. Truly, I tell you that I don't know you. This isn't the first time that Jesus used this phrase of I don't know you. As he's speaking a sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 7, he said, on that day, many will come to me saying all of these great things that they have done in my name, done in my name. And he says, 
Surely I tell you, I don't know you. It's, it, it's wild how easily, how easily we are drawn to anybody of, of influence, anybody in society's eyes that they're praised and they seem as worthy, that we'll just eat it up. So-and-so is a, is a Christian. Now they're my favorite artist. Ah, uh, so-and-so mentioned God and prayed and, and after a post-game of, of the sports show. Now he's my favorite player. But we look at their lives and they're completely different. I'm not shaming them and, and, and praise God they're getting the name out there. But at the same time, could they be doing more damage than good to the church? I remember when I wasn't living right, I was afraid to say that I was a Christian. It was one foot in and one foot out. And as dumb as it sounds, and as hard as my heart was, at least I had the decency to not proclaim that I was a Christian because I was afraid of what I would do to the actual church that is making a difference. Not everybody has this. I mean, like, I'm still an evil person, you know, trying to do good for the church. I choose to live in sin, and I'm saying, well, I'm not going to do this. Like, we have to be careful who we praise. We have to be careful who we allow into our lives, who we say, well, they're such a great person. There's this person that I really struggle with and, and that I love and makes great music, and he sings about Jesus on Sunday and he's writing about his weed that he gets from California on Saturdays. Like it's, and, and we, pra- we praise his worship songs. Man, he's, he's a believer. But in reality, these are the very people that we have to be careful with, that we have to be careful who we praise and, and, and who, who we allow to have influence over our lives. I pray for these people. I pray that God gets their heart. I pray for the celebrity pastor that, that has a mega church to, to, to preach repentance and to preach the true gospel so that we can grow in the kingdom of God. But the responsibility is here. The responsibility is in your life. What difference are you making? How much oil do you carry in your lamp? As Jesus says, depart, depart from me for I never knew you. As a five foolish knocked and he said, I assure that I tell you, I don't know you. This leads me to believe that the greatest question in life is not do you know Jesus, but it does Jesus know you? Jesus knowing you has nothing to do with your deeds, has nothing to do with your actions, but it has everything to do with you putting your trust in him as a savior, as Lord, and nothing else matters. If there's any day that you want to be known by Jesus... It is on the day that he returns or the day that you pass away. Thankfully, we don't have to wait for that day. If Jesus is your savior, you are known by him today. This is the confidence and hope that we have in him as Lord and savior. We can have assurance of salvation. And I find that peace. The parable, the ten ten virgins is a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call, first to those who don't know Jesus, those who don't know him. But it goes beyond that. I believe that the real wake-up call is to those who go to church but are not really walking with him. Those that claim to know him, but Jesus doesn't know you. In other words, you have an empty lamp. More than ever before, if you're not walking the way that you should, today is the day to get it right. Because we are not promised tomorrow. 
if I'm gonna preach about the coming of Jesus Christ, if I really truly believe that we are living in the end times, then I preach this with a passion and an urgency that we cannot walk out of this door the same. That maybe we don't wake up tomorrow. I shared this message a year ago, um, not the exact same message, the context of it, and I'm, and I'm grateful that I get to share the rest of it. I understand the probability of me waking up tomorrow. I understand the probability of me celebrating my daughter's fourth birthday next week and going to Disneyland. I understand it. It's going to be cool. I hope. <laughs> but I believe that Jesus is coming back. And we like to misconstrue and kind of pick apart eschatology as making it fit our narrative of when Jesus is going to come back. And we like to think, well, the, the wars and rumors of wars, and all of these crazy things. But I believe that if God told Jesus to come back right now, that he, he would. That if there's any reason to come back, now is the reason. We can't downplay what's happening in this world, especially to America. We can't downplay that what's happening right now in society, that it doesn't have anything to do with the conditioning of the end times. I have strong beliefs and strong revelation that the Bible teaches us that there's going to be a strong man in power in the, as the Antichrist. is going to be a part of the government. That's what I believe. And who puts people in government? The people. People that are deceived. People that don't understand. And we have to be careful and aware of what God is doing on this earth. Listen, they can cheat or, or whatever right-wing conspiracy theorists want to say and what other people want to say. It doesn't matter to me. All I know is that Jesus is coming back. And what is happening in this world is indication that he is. So you can deceive yourself and you can say all of these other things and say, well, church and politics don't go together. Well, I want to tell you very much that they do. Because if the church is going to be a light into the world, we very much be aware of what is going on in this world. The cry, the midnight cry, will be devastating for some, but a joy for others. What emotion, what idea, what logic is going in your head right now that rings true? What side of the spectrum am I on? What are you dealing with? What are you speaking to yourself? What are you saying to yourself about the words that are being spoken? Can you say, Holy Spirit, will you begin to speak to me and show me? Is there is that humbleness there? Is there any pride that will say, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I have enough time. I'm not going to listen to this young man with tattoos. That's probably my own insecurity. <laughs> no, in reality, think about it. As a church, we like to talk about how loving and gracious our God is because he is. And there's really not much more to talk about. But we can't forget his holiness and his righteousness. God has a promise and God has an oath. God's promises are contingent on what we do. God's oath is his word and it doesn't change. So his, his oath against sin is that if you don't repent, there is a place called hell that wasn't meant for you. But because we're so perverted, that's where some of us, that's where sinners are going to go. What is the difference then between the foolish virgins and the wise ones? The ones with oil and the ones without oil. It's not in their ability to stay awake, but in how they prepared their lamps.
Sometimes our lamps can go out, but we have to be able to humble ourselves and say, Lord, will you fill me again? Will you fill me afresh? Will you give me something new? I need more of you. I need to fill my lamp with oil, with the Holy Spirit, more than I fill myself with the things of this world. Have you taken care of your lamp today? If I could have the worship team come up. In Luke's account of, of, of the story, when Jesus went to go pray in the garden, it says that the three, that the three disciples, they had fallen asleep out of sheer sorrow. Jesus was with them. They were with Jesus for three years. Three of the best years that they would ever experience in their life. Their greatest friend. They seen him love people. They seen him do miracles. They seen it all. They literally gave their lives up to follow him. Their career, their profession, their families, they gave it all up to pursue the Messiah. And they have, they have Jesus talking about, repent for the kingdom is near. They have Jesus sharing that one day I'm going to be crucified. I have to be. I have to be in order for the world to be saved. Then they have the Last Supper. And they're sitting down and he says, surely I tell you that one of you will betray me. Then he tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And he talks about his death, his crucifixion. Jesus goes to the garden. He's expressing to them. My heart is so grieved and is so despaired to the point of death. The Bible tells us that Jesus was sweating blood, pleading to God, saying, this cup can pass for me, please. But if it is your will, I long to please you. Asleep out of sheer sorrow. I understand living in this world is tough. I understand providing for your family is tough. The world is hard on you let alone being a Christian in this world, holding up the gospel to the fullness and living righteous and holy lives, the world is going to hate you. Our kids aren't the best. We don't put them, they're not in the best schools. We don't make as much money as so-and-so and we all live different kinds of lives. We all come from different backgrounds and different places. Every single person here has a different testimony that they can share. Some of you grew up in broken homes and some of you grew up with both parents. Some of you grew up abused and some of you guys were never touched before. We all have a story and we all have something to share. But the world, as we went along, somehow has beaten us up, has bruised us, and has affected our daily lives. Maybe life is boring for you, but there is something missing. There's no purpose, there's no joy, there's no hope. You don't hate life, but you don't enjoy it. You're missing something. And out of sheer sorrow, you have fallen asleep. And as Christians today, this is one of the things, and I remember having this conversation with somebody that's still in this church today, praise God. And I remember we were so close when we first met. We first started talking. 
And I had such a, I had such a, a passion to see him grow in his walk with God. And I remember telling him this. I remember telling him, I said, you have such a great heart. And as you grow in your walk with God and as you get connected to people in this church and as you go along learning how to serve and getting into ministry, and I was praying that he got to that point, I remember telling him, I said, don't fall into the culture because doing the work of God will become more important than God of the work. And I really meant this and I really was like, man, you're going to be a world changer. I really believe that you have the heart for people and I want to, God to see, like I want to see God use your life. Don't grow accustomed to the things that we are just so used to that we take for granted. And you that are serving in ministry or those that want to get into ministry, we have to be careful that it never compensate for God himself. You may be rejected for never joining the worship team. You may be sat down from a ministry because of something that happened. You may never ever get a position or a title or affirmation, whatever it is. And you start to feel sorry for yourself. Well, so-and-so stopped talking to me. I don't get the type of attention that I feel that I deserve when I go to Connect Group. Nobody comes to shake my hand after church. And we start to feel sorry for ourselves and out of sheer sorrow, we begin to fall asleep in the circumstance that we're in. There's a message that Jesus wants to share to you today. And it's to stay awake. And for those that fall asleep, I'm not condoning this. I'm not saying to fall asleep. Every day I say, Lord, wake me up. Wake me up inside. <laughs> Sorry. Just <laughs> not even a Christian song, I think. Every day, it comes to a humbling point of, Lord, am I awake? I don't want to fall asleep. But if you are, out of sheer sorrow, out of life that hits you or whatever it is, whether it's death in a family, whether it's the loss of a loved one or a friend, whether it's you losing your job, losing the, a friend closest to you, whether it's even this time that we're living right now since, since COVID, whatever it is, fall asleep in a way that you don't, when you wake up, you have enough oil. If you want to sit in your seat, that's fine. If you want to be selfish, what God has do, done in your life, that's fine. But do so in a way that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. It's okay to make an impact around you to your immediate friends and your family. That's fine. That, I mean, that's what God has called us to do. But when you fall asleep, for whatever reason it is, do so in a way that when you wake up, you don't have to go fill your oil. Do so in a way that you don't have to go to somebody and say, can you give me some of your oil? Our insecurity should never be the driving force to, to, to seek attention or validation. If you don't feel loved by people in this church, God loves you. The Lord loves you. And I, I guess I'm an extrovert. I don't know. I, but I love talking to people, meeting people. Like that. I love it. I, I love making them feel welcomed. Uh, and there are some people that are very completely, you know, like 
shake my hand and dip. Like, you know, they, that's fine. It's not about the reaction. It's about the fact that I did it. The fact that they feel welcomed. That you have a place here, that you're loved. God wants to use you. Whether it's a simple hello, whether it's teaching a Bible study, whether it's serving as an usher or serving in children's church and they need help. So if you're good with kids, help them out. Yeah, that's right. Listen, without the Holy Spirit, what are we? We're just empty vessels doing no damage to the devil and what he's doing on this earth. But when we fill ourselves with oil, we allow the Lord to use us right where we are. And it doesn't matter what the outside of my lamp looks like. It's on what, what's on the inside. It's what's on the inside. So listen, I want to pray with some people. Um, I'm going to get into it a little, but I was, as I was praying this week, God had put uh, certain people on my heart, and I want to pray with you guys. I believe the word has, uh, that God has a word for you. But has this message spoke to you? I pray it has, man. I really believe this was a word for the Lord. This is what I want to do. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to pray with you. It's an honor and a privilege to pray with you. There are people that are going to be excited to pray with you, to walk with you on this new journey that God has for you. If you say, I'm not living right, or if this message spoke to you and you say, I want the Lord Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior, and I want to walk with Him, I want Him to fill my lamp. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand, just real quick. We've, most of the majority of, of people here have done it. It's not embarrassing at all. There's not one person I looked at that raised their hand. I looked at them any different. People are actually going to be excited for you. I get it. We're not bowing our heads and we're not closing our eyes. But this is a powerful declaration that we can make before people, before our God. So if that's you and you want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you've never done it before, maybe you want to recommit your life to Him. Maybe you have backslidden and you say, today... I want to renew that commitment with God. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. All across this room, anywhere. Ushers, can you help me? Anybody? Man, praise God. I see one hand. Praise God, man. I'm so excited. So excited. So much bravery, so much courage. God bless you. Anybody else? We want this opportunity to pray with you. All of heaven rejoices. This isn't a time to be afraid and wondering who's, gonna, who's watching us, who's looking at us. If I was giving out free tickets to your favorite team or free tickets to wherever, you would run up here. But this is an invitation to join the body of Christ. It is a celebration. And I'm excited to, to celebrate with you. So if that's you, one more time, will you raise your hand? Jesus loves you. He died on that cross for you. There's another hand right there. A brave and honest soul. One more person. Is there anybody else? Anybody else that will join these brave people that say, I want to follow the Lord? Real quick, anybody? Amen. Listen. Will you two ladies, will you join me here? We want to pray with you. There are going to be ladies that will pray with you as well. Don't be embarrassed. You already raise your hand. Come on, this is going to be a great time. This is going to be a great time before the Lord. If I could have, a, if I could have an usher with her, help her, walk with her, God bless you guys. Neff is going to pray with you. We're all going to pray with you. Listen, church, if we can stand, we're going to pray with you. Here, you guys can look at me. Exciting, joyful, the Lord loves you. If you allow the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior today, what you are doing, life will never be the same. It will be different. Whatever you're searching for, He gives you peace.
ultimately, listen, He loves you. The worst thing you've ever done in your life is gone. It's forgiven. He doesn't look at you the same. You are a new creation in God. So we're going to pray, and I want you to repeat these words after me, but I don't want you to say them to me. I want you to say them to the Lord. Okay? What's your name? Leilani. Look, just let it go. Let it go. I, hey, I understand it's hard, but you have to let it go. Let the Lord move in your heart. So listen, I believe that there's power in this prayer that we're saying, and if you say it to the Lord, you're good. Okay? So say, don't say it to me. Say it to God. Say, Lord Jesus. Say it loud. Say, Lord Jesus. I commit my life to you today. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Will you live inside of me? Holy Spirit, will you fill me? Will you give me knowledge, wisdom, and understanding on how to walk with you in this life? Show me how much you love me. And I thank you, Father. Today, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, can we give them a hand? God bless you. Listen, they're going to pray with you, okay? They're going to pray with you. Can you pray with you now? Man, God is good. Church, these altar calls are never easy to answer. Like, I get it. But if the Lord spoke to you, it comes to saying, Father, whether I'm asleep, I let down all my pride, I rebuke all the religion that I had in my life, whatever it is, you say, Father, I want to make sure that my lamp is full. I want to make sure that when I have to be awake, it's time to be awake. When the Lord is doing something in your heart, when he's doing something in somebody else's life, whether he's doing something in this church, you want to be a part of the move of Christ. You want him to fill your lamp. Will you join me at the altar and let's pray. Let's press into what God wants to Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.